Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. Hope everybody is enjoying their Thursdays thus far. As you tune in, we get you locked and loaded for the Sweet 16. I'm flying solo today on Full Slate. You can check me out on Gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. As, uh, like I said, flying solo. So, unfortunately, no Bill Christie along for the ride today as we get into the second weekend of the big dance. But certainly uh, follow Bill at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter and shoot uh, the podcast a follow as well at Full underscore Slate underscore Pod. Our guy Alex. Does a great job managing that account as uh, we are going to get you set, as I said, for the second weekend of the Big Dance here on a Thursday. You listen to this. I record late on a Wednesday evening. Uh, and we're going to, obviously, in a solo pod, we, we try and condense things a little bit, a little less banter as I finish up watching my Sixers here late on a Wednesday night against the Los Angeles Lakers in Southern California. Uh, kind of talking to Alex, it's always kind of one of those things where if you're a fan of an East Coast team, as we both are, he's in the D.C. area, likes the D.C. and the Pittsburgh teams. I grew up in the Philly area. It's a, kind of a nice change of pace if you're a night owl, if you kind of like staying up sometimes anyway, as I do. I'm not a morning person, but I certainly enjoy Enjoy uh, staying up uh, 12, 1 a.m. usually. Uh, so it, it can be a nice little change of pace. And I got my Sixers out on the West Coast right now as I record this. 
And uh, before we're going to run through every game, I'll give you leans. I'll give you passes. I'll give you some plays. I do have a max play uh, in one of the games in Philly, ironically enough, um, in the East region. So we'll get to that. Those are the Friday games. Uh, but uh, as I said, going to run through every game and give some thoughts as these eight regional semifinals tip off on Thursday evening in San Francisco and San Antonio. But I want to start just with some overall thoughts on where we are in the tournament. And one thing that I am kind of going to say now that I think is uh, relatively kind of streamlined through some of my handicapping for the second weekend is that I just expect regression to the norm when we get to this portion of the tournament. I think for certain teams that have made runs, you look at a St. Peter's right there, the 15th seed in the East region. We've seen 15 seeds get to this point. Oil Roberts a year ago, Florida Gulf Coast, Less than a decade ago, uh, ironically enough, FTCU winning its two games in Philly, and now St. Peter's trying to become the first 15 seed to make the Elite Eight also in Philly. So something to just kind of a neat little full circle thing there. But we've never seen a 15 seed get to the Elite Eight, right? And I think the thought or the rationale, excuse me, is just that it's hard for these teams to continually step up in class. Kentucky, Murray State, and now Purdue for St. Peter's. So I'd be surprised if St. Peter's won the game on Friday night against Purdue. Obviously, as gamblers, we're looking more for the point spread and if Purdue is going to cover that big 12 in the hook number. Uh, but generally speaking, I think you're, you start to see some regression right? For the lower seeds, they start to look more like the lower seeds, and the higher seeds tend to start picking up their game a lot. We call it March Madness, and that's fun, and we enjoy the upsets, and it can make for an exciting first weekend. And in some cases, the second weekend, we've seen 11 seeds, UCLA a year ago, Loyola Chicago four years ago, go all the way to the Final Four. But there's a reason that Villanova in 1985 is the number 8 seed is the lowest seed to actually win this tournament. By the way, quick apologies. Going through some mic problems. Uh, the cable for my USB mic I think is shot. So I'm recording with the built-in mic tonight. So I hope you're able to hear me as we run through this. But back to my point. We start to see regression. We start to see the cream of the crop rise to the top. And so, generally speaking, that cliche, survive in advance, I think really applies to the first weekend of this tournament. And as the tournament wears on, larger sample size, the better teams tend to take over. That doesn't mean I'm on every favorite, but regression back to the mean and not overreacting to what we saw on the first weekend, I think is really important. So with that said, let's jump into these games and what better game to start with regard to some of the stuff I was just saying than the number one overall seed, the first game of the night on Thursday, the Gonzaga Bulldogs 
and the Arkansas Razorbacks. This game out in San Francisco. So you would think maybe, I always try and look at these neutral sites and think, well, where might the crowd advantage be? And while San Francisco is by no means in Gonzaga's backyard, certainly closer to Gonzaga than Arkansas. So maybe there's a crowd advantage here for the Bulldogs. Although if I was a Gonzaga fan, I'd probably save my money and go to the Final Four and try and hope that this was finally the year for Mark Few and company to get over the hump. But we are seeing Gonzaga laying nine in the hook. And it's obviously a high number, the second highest spread of the Sweet 16 behind that aforementioned Purdue spread. And I think Gonzaga is probably, by the way, total in this game, a high total, 154.5. But I think Gonzaga is probably the best example of that little preamble that I had to get us started here. Where you look at the way Gonzaga played, for about 75% of the game against Georgia State, Gonzaga was sleepwalking. And ends up waking up and I believe won that first round game by 20. So the final score looks like it was uncompetitive. But keep an eye on that score most of the game. It was like, oh, what's going on here? Georgia State got a little bit of life. And a lot of people will tell you, and by no means did I watch a lot of Georgia State, but a lot of people will tell you Georgia State was a little underseeded as a 16. So, okay, tip your cap. You move on to the next game. Then the next game, Gonzaga's down by 10 at half against Memphis. And Drew Timmy, who may well be the National Player of the Year, wasn't doing anything. And if you watch the game, his post-game interview after they came back and won in the second half, he's, talking to, he's trying to hold back the curse words on the national broadcast there with regard to what he said to the Bulldogs at halftime. As I said, a 10-point Memphis lead. And then in the second half, you really started to see the Gonzaga team that was the number one overall seed in the tournament. So I bring all of this up to say that I expect Gonzaga to play its best game of the tournament on Thursday night against Arkansas. Because usually, there's a top seed or two that... Goes out the first weekend. Baylor and Kentucky. Ironically enough, those are the top two seeds in the same region. We saw Auburn bounced. We saw Wisconsin bounce, the two and three in that Midwest region. So this is usually what we can see sometimes. We can see chaos. We can see the madness, right? That's the first weekend predominantly. And the second weekend, you start to see the cream rise to the top. Now, of course, we're going to have in the Midwest, we'll get to it a little bit later, Miami and Iowa State, we're going to have a double-digit seed get through to the Elite Eight because you have a 10 and 11 playing each other. But I expect Gonzaga to really step up its level here. That's not to say Gonzaga will even make the Final Four because Duke answered the bell when tested against Michigan State and I thought Texas Tech was the most impressive team of the first weekend. But I do think Gonzaga is going to get to Saturday. So if you couldn't figure out where I'm going with this handicap, I'm laying the 9.5 and and backing Gonzaga here. Arkansas has had problems with fouling the first two games of the tournament, and 
here's the real concerning thing for the Hogs. They're not very deep. And they've had foul trouble. Eric Musselman has done a very good job with that program. J.D. Note and Jalen Williams must take this game over in order for Arkansas to have a shot. And the issue against the Gonzaga team is the Zags do have the depth. It might not be a team as good as last year's Gonzaga team, but I watched that WCC title game against a top 25 St. Mary's team that ended up being a five seed in the tournament. Okay? And in that game, Drew Timmy and Chad Holmgren probably the best front court in the country, really didn't do a ton. And Nemhard and the rest of the guards for Gonzaga stepped up, and Gonzaga still covered a 12.5 point line in that game. So they can beat you in a lot of different ways, and they didn't look like they their best, the Zags, at you know the Thursday-Saturday first two games of the tournament last weekend. But they survived, and they advanced. And I think tomorrow night is where you really see the Zags well, I guess tonight, as you listen on a Thursday, it's really where you really see the Zags level step up. And that's when it comes back to can Arkansas at its best even compete with Gonzaga at its best? And I just don't think that's the case. Especially when you consider it was really not great play from Arkansas against Vermont and against New Mexico State either in their in its first two games. Add it all up, I think Gonzaga wins, I think Gonzaga covers, and again, Gonzaga will probably have to step up a notch further come Saturday and the regional final, but I expect a notch to be stepped up on Thursday night. So Gonzaga minus nine in the hook in the first regional semifinal for me. Let's go chronologically, so just about half an hour after they tip off in San Francisco, they will tip in San Antonio, as the Alamo City is the host city for the South Regional, and the first game is the regional semifinal between Villanova and Michigan, and you have the Michigan Wolverines catching five, total in this game of 135.5. And I don't like betting against Villanova in the tournament because the Wildcats are just rock solid. And I saw, this won't come as a huge surprise, but I saw a tweet the other day. I believe Villanova has the third most NCAA tournament wins in the last 10 years. Yes, it's Gonzaga at 24, ironically enough. Michigan at 23, and Villanova at 20. Of course, the difference between Villanova and Michigan in that regard is, and Gonzaga for that matter, Villanova's won the national championship twice in the last 10 years. Gonzaga and Michigan cannot say the same. Of course, the irony here is San Antonio was the host city of the Final Four in 2018 when Villanova beat Michigan in the title game. So, all of those narratives out of the way, as much as I don't like to do it, I kind of like Michigan here. This is not my strongest play. If you had to only take one of these plays of the first two we've given out, I would recommend laying it with Gonzaga over taking it the points with Michigan. But I'm going to take five here with Michigan. And here's why. Anytime you get a team in the tournament that had a lot of preseason expectations, didn't quite live up to them, but still got in the tournament, and manages to start to put it together at the perfect time, I think that team's kind of interesting this time of year. 
And, of course, the irony here is we're talking about the Michigan Wolverines as that 11 seed, a Michigan team that was a number one seed in last year's tournament and got to the Elite Eight and nearly missed the tournament this year. So we're talking about Michigan as that team this year where they underachieved, got to the tournament, and had a good first weekend and are still alive. But last year, one of those teams that fits that profile knocked out Michigan. That would be the UCLA Bruins, who had a lot of preseason buzz in 2020-2021, ended up coming out of the first four as an 11 seed and getting all the way to the Final Four. I'm not saying Michigan's going to the Final Four, but the concept intrigues me. And Michigan was on the wrong end of it last year. And I look at it this year and say, a little bit of a role reversal for the Wolverines, and maybe they embrace it. Because I know Rick Barnes loves to Rick Barnes in March, and he did last week in the round of 32 against Michigan, but the Wolverines were also in control of that game most of the way. They didn't look great in the first half against Colorado State, but Michigan woke up in the second half, won that game with relative ease. So it's kind of just a situational thing for me where a Michigan team that had a lot of expectations preseason didn't live up to them, and especially in this game, really has no expectations, right? Villanova's the two seed, won and covered, first two games of the tournament. That's the type of team that, you know, we would expect to at least make it to Saturday, and maybe they will. But Michigan's starting to play well. Out of nowhere, right? Because it was just a couple weeks ago, Michigan loses, blows a big lead against Indiana in the Big Ten tournament, and, you know, you're thinking, are they even going to make it? But I do think, I, I, I always say, try not to fall victim to recency bias. As much as I talk about regression and expecting things to come back to the norm. Maybe it's positive regression for Michigan, right? Maybe the Wolverines are finally peaking. So I'm going to take the five points. Not my favorite play, but I'll go with Michigan plus five. Let's go back to the West region as we're going chronologically. So as long as there's no chaos in Gonzaga and Arkansas, that would leave... Texas Tech and Duke to be the third game of the night in terms of tip-off time on Thursday. And we have the Texas Tech Red Raiders, a one-point favorite against Mike Krzyzewski's Duke Blue Devils. Total in this game of 137.5. And And I do have another play in this one. Trust me, I don't have a play in every game. Uh, But I have... Three Thursday plays and one Friday play. So, correction, two Friday plays. So five total plays here. But, I'm going to lay the one point and back Texas Tech. I think Texas, I mentioned it in the open, I thought Texas Tech was the most impressive team of the first weekend. Clobbered Montana State, and they never really let Notre Dame get back in the door, right? And when you are a... High seed, I think there's something to be said for that. We just talked about how we saw a number three seed Wisconsin lose, a number two seed Auburn lose, number two seed Kentucky lose, number one seed Baylor lose. And so when you can keep your guard up 
and not let anybody through the door to make it interesting, I, I, I think there is value in that, for sure. And I think Purdue did that as well against Texas. Just kind of paced the, you know, set the pace in that game and managed to slowly but surely send Texas home, which is what Texas Tech kind of did to Notre Dame. Where it was never a seismic lead, but it was always kind of steady. And anytime there was a push from Notre Dame, there was an answer for Texas Tech. So again, the Red Raiders, the most impressive team for me in the week, in the first weekend. And I just think Texas Tech simply better than Duke. So when you look at it that way, I get why Texas Tech's favored. Texas Tech's higher than Duke in the overall Ken Palm rankings. And Texas Tech, the thing with the Red Raiders that has was a mainstay of Chris Beard's teams there, and certainly uh, Mark Adams has carried that over, has been the defensive intensity. Excuse me. Red Raiders are number one in the country in defensive efficiency. So then you look at this total... And you see it at 137.5. And, and this is something that Bill Christie and I talked about a lot. Where sometimes totals tip you off on sides. At 137.5, this is, this is kind of in the middle, right? There's a few totals that are lower than this. But there's also a few totals that are higher than this. And, you know, 137.5 is not a glaringly high total. And so it would suggest to me, especially a Duke team, by the way, that's top five in offensive efficiency and just barely in the top 50 in defensive efficiency, 137.5, that total is low enough to where it suggests to me that in a lower scoring game, I'm going to like the Red Raiders. So you give me the better team in what the oddsmakers are telling me is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game and the better overall team happens to be the number one team in defensive efficiency, I'm going to be on the Red Raiders, Kevin O'Banner, and, you know, speaking of tournament experience, you know, he was with Oral Roberts last year making that run to the second weekend. So I'm going to be on Texas Tech here. Minus one. I was, honestly, I think Texas Tech could win the game by double digits if Texas Tech plays its best. Because here's the thing. Michigan State's up five with like four minutes left on Duke. And lets it get away, right? And that wasn't a very good Michigan State team this year. Let's be honest. Seventh in the Big Ten. But I mentioned O'Banner. Bryson Williams has been excellent for Texas Tech as well. I just think top to bottom, Texas Tech is one of the best teams in the country. And if you watched in the Big 12 at all, you would have seen how well the Red Raiders played against Baylor and Kansas in the regular season. So... Yeah, I, I think that I'm getting the better team, only having to give a point. A team that looked very good in the first weekend of the tournament also got to the final of the, the Big 12 tournament. Whereas Duke, you know, give the, those kids credit. They responded down the stretch against Michigan State, but that was a spotty game, an inconsistent game from Duke. We saw what happened. In the ACC tournament, when it comes to inconsistency, struggled with Syracuse in the quarterfinal. 
Miami gave them a game, and then they got clobbered by Virginia Tech. I don't think this is one of Coach K's best teams, and obviously it's his last team. I am not going to drink the Kool-Aid on the send-off. Texas Tech minus one. Third play for me. Let's wrap up the Thursday slate going back to the Alamo City where the Houston Cougars and the Arizona Wildcats face off in the South Regional semifinal. Arizona, a very short one-and-a-half point favorite, total 145. And this is going to be a total stay away from me. Ken Palm has Houston as the number two team in the country, and Ken Palm has Arizona as the number three team in the country. So if you would, you know, on that point alone, you might say, oh, well, they think that Houston's the better team. I'm going to take Houston plus one and a half. Maybe so. Should be a home game for the Cougs as the game is in San Antonio. But I also think that, I don't think there's any doubt, by the way. I Stop for a second there, but let me, there's no reason to hesitate. That Arizona has the best player in this game. Bennett Matherin hits an incredible step back three against TCU to send the game to overtime. And I think it was the best overall individual performance thus far of the tournament was that game from Matherin on Sunday night against the Horned Frogs. And then, you know, Christian Coloco and that wingspan, he could really give Fabian White some problems. And Fabian White has been the best player for Houston post Tremont Mark and Marcus Sasser injuries. So I think the size for Arizona is definitely a plus. They have the best player in the game. Having said that, I don't really love the Wildcats here either. As I said, it should be a home game for Houston. And the thing about Houston that's so impressive, I mentioned Fabian White, who's been their best player after Sasser and Mark went down. Well, he was not an integral part of the offensive repertoire against Illinois. And yet... Jamal Shedd steps up, and they just seemingly have different players. You know, Kessler Edwards, or excuse me, Kyler Edwards, comes up big for the Cougars. So they have these different guys. You know, Taze Moore, I knew I was missing one of their guards. And that's what makes... Kelvin Sampson, such a good coach, is he's getting the most out of this roster. So, I am going to pass this game. I think it may be the best game of the tournament. When we're all said and done, when every game has been played, we might look back and say this was the best game of the tournament. Because when you talk about responding in the face of adversity, listen, I'm picking against them, but Duke did that in the round of 32 against Michigan State. Well, so did Arizona. Late in the game against TCU. So now I expect Arizona's level to take a knock, to rise and take a step up. Michigan, or excuse me, Houston is already playing at a very high level. So this could be the best game of the tournament. Enjoy it. You don't have to bet on it. Probably going to end up in one, one shining moment. Pass the game, though, for me. Let's move on and go to the Friday regional semifinals where. We're going to start in the East region with my favorite play of the tournament of the second weekend, rather, Sweet 16. And it's going to be the under, St. Peter's Purdue, under 135.5. The spread is 12.5. I'm staying away from that. It's a big number. St. Peter's will have the big crowd advantage, you would think. In Philly, St. Peter's, a North Jersey school. Having said that, it's a steep number. 
the Peacocks have nothing to lose. I faded them against Murray State, thinking that they would not be able to get back up off that victory against Kentucky, and they coasted and were in control of the game the whole way. But the total is really where I'm interested in. Like I said, I'm going under 135 for a max play. And this is where I really see the regression coming for St. Peter's. Uh, they averaged 77.5 points per game the first two the, in, between the first two tournament games they played. But for the season, they were only at 67 points per game. So in over their heads a little bit offensively, the Peacocks, in those first two games last weekend. And then you look at St. Peter's collectively, like the metrics, 28th in the nation in defensive efficiency and also 240th in the nation in adjusted tempo. So that would suggest to me that St. Peter's doesn't have a problem slowing the game down, maybe mucking it up, playing a dirtier game, and just trying to keep the game in the 50s or maybe the 60s. Because that was the kind of team they were most of the regular season in the, in the MAC. M-double-A-C, by the way. I love how there's an M-M-M-A-A-C and an M-A-C. But having said that, I think St. Peter's has no problem playing a slower-paced game, and they're a decent, you know, above-average defensive team, and they did a little bit better than they usually do offensively the first two games of the tournament. So I expect regression there. And while Purdue is second in the nation in offensive efficiency, the Boilermakers are 236th in adjusted tempo, and I mentioned St. Peter's at 240th in adjusted tempo. So these teams like to play slow. We know St. Peter's is better on the defensive end of the floor anyway. I think the only chance that St. Peter's has here is to just make this game very slow and ugly because the size for Purdue between Travion Williams and Zach Eady could give the front court for St. Peter's fits. I'll take the under 135 max play in the regional semifinal between the St. Peter's Peacocks, say that five times fast, and the Purdue Boilermakers. Next game up on the schedule on Friday night features the Providence Friars and the Kansas Jayhawks. I have another play here as Providence is catching 7.5. Total is 141.5. I'm going to go over another total here, over 141.5. First off, I, I, I bet against Providence the first two games of the tournament. I was fully in on that. If you follow any of the you know college, not even just gambling people, but a lot of experts... I think uh, kind of felt like maybe Providence was a little lucky at times. They were number one in the Ken Palm luck metric in the regular season. And you did see Providence get exposed pretty badly in the Big East tournament against Creighton. Having said that, here are the Friars. Ed Cooley, potentially the national coach of the year. I think it'll end up being Tommy Lloyd. But here are the Friars in the Sweet 16 after winning their, you know, the Big East regular season title. And... I think that when we break this game down, what do we see Kansas have no problem winning? A track meet up and down, a lot of shooting against Creighton in that round of 32 game. 79-72, Jayhawks win. And both these teams, efficiency-wise, their offensive efficiency metric is better than their defensive efficiency metric. Friars averaged 72 points per game in the regular season, 
If they can get to 72 in this one, well, all Kansas has to do is live up to the 7.5-point favorite line that the Kansas Jayhawks are laying here, and we're going over 141.5 with ease. So, by the way, Kansas 6th in the nation in offensive efficiency, and that was against the number one opponent defensive efficiency schedule. So, pretty impressive when you put that in context, that Kansas faced the best defensive schedule in the country and was still 6th in offensive efficiency. And now Remy Martin is back for the Jayhawks. Every college basketball analyst on all the networks has rightfully pointed out how important that is for the Jayhawks. I think we get a lot of points here. I don't want to fade Providence again, but I'd lean Kansas on the side over 141.5 for me. Two more games. Uh, I want to go, let's go back to Philly for the penultimate game here, uh, the Battle of the Blue Bloods between North Carolina and UCLA. I would lean with UCLA laying 2.5, total 141.5. I just think this number is a little interesting that Jaime Jaquez, the you know wing player for UCLA, who's one of the best players in the Pac-12, is we don't know what's going on. He had that ankle sprain. He had to leave the game against St. Mary's. They didn't need him. They played really well anyway. So we don't know about Hawkins' status. This opened minus two, and now it's at minus two and a half. So I think that there's maybe, uh, you know, is there some inkling rumors, rumblings, inclinations that Hawkins might play potentially? I also think that come tip-off on Friday night, North Carolina is going to be a very trendy underdog. Brady Maddock will be back in the lineup. Obviously, you saw North Carolina build that big lead against Baylor, and then when Maddock got ejected, things kind of changed. <laughs> kind of. They did. But the Tar Heels righted the ship and managed to win the game in overtime. So I think Carolina playing really well at the right time of year, but there's another team that just did not look good really at all in the regular season. And the Coach K send-off game at Cameron Indoor maybe got their season going. And are they going to keep riding that momentum? You could argue that. And I maybe wouldn't argue against you. That's why I'm passing the game. Because I, I'm only leaning UCLA. I just I still don't trust Carolina. I think that game against Baylor kind of encapsulates why. They can be up 25, blow the whole lead, but then still come back and win the game in overtime. Oh, by the way, they crushed Marquette. In the first round. So Carolina, at its best, yeah, could end up in the Final Four. Short underdog in this game. They'll be a little bit of a larger underdog if it's Purdue in the regional final. But there's no doubt that it's high end. Carolina can play with anybody in the country. But it's low end. It's not even an NCAA tournament team. So I think the consistency of UCLA, if I had to play this game, would be why I would be on the Bruins minus two in the hook. But again, we don't know about Hawkes, so that's certainly a factor as well. Last game here, going back to the Midwest Regional in Chicago, where the Iowa State Cyclones are catching two and a half against the Miami Hurricanes, total of 133. Maybe a home crowd advantage here for Iowa State, right? Not too far for the Cyclone faithful to get from Ames, Iowa to Illinois, Chicago, or Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> uh, but... I would still lean with Miami because Iowa State only won two games last year. It's a great story. Getting to the second weekend, TJ Osselberger, a first-year head coach there, had been on the staff previously, bounced around a little bit, finally got back to Ohio State. But I actually think Miami is a pretty good team. 
They were fourth in the ACC, and I think maybe that gets a little overshadowed because the ACC was down this year. I mentioned Miami giving Duke a run for its money in the ACC semifinal, and Miami controlled that game the whole way against Auburn. I mean, that wasn't even really all that competitive. So I think you might be getting Miami a little cheap here. But Iowa State also really kind of controlled the game most of the way against Wisconsin. That's why this game's weird. Because, it, yeah, double-digit seeds get to the second weekend. But how often do double-digit seeds really just control the games the way Iowa State did against Wisconsin and the way Miami did against Auburn? And Wisconsin, Iowa State, by the way, also benefited from the point guard for Wisconsin going down, I think, like early in the game. So, Wisconsin loses uh, Chucky Hepburn. That's right. I had to look up who it was. He goes down early in the game, and that helped Iowa State. I, I just think, if you had to ask me which team was more impressive in its upset victory, it would be Miami. And that's why they're favored here. They're the higher seed. But I think, I think they're a little cheap here. I mean, here, think of it like this. LSU's laying four in the first round against Wisconsin, not Wisconsin, Iowa State. Okay. Miami's now laying two and a half against Iowa State. And Miami just beat Auburn pretty convincingly. You know, obviously, I, I, I off the top of my head don't know the head-to-head LSU Auburn in the ACC in the SEC this year, but the best team in the regular season in LSU's league was Auburn. Miami washed Auburn, wasn't even close, and now you're getting Miami at minus two and a half when LSU was minus four. Against Iowa State both times. I'd lean with the Hurricanes in that one. So, again, to recap, we're on Gonzaga, minus 9.5. Michigan, plus 5. Texas Tech, minus 1. Max Play, St. Peter's, Purdue, under 135. Providence, Kansas, over 141.5. Those are your Sweet 16 plays. That'll do it for me here on a solo edition of Full Slate. My name is Greg Frank. Follow me at UndercoverGreg on Gambling Twitter. At Alex, or Alex underscore up seven is personal account, so shoot him a follow there. But our jack of all trades, Alex Uplinger, is at full underscore slate underscore pod. And that will do it for this solo Sweet 16 edition of Full Slate. Everyone enjoy the second weekend of the tournament. And, of course, please play responsibly.